Welcome to Four Eyes, the podcast series that gives you a clear view into the new grad optometry world across Canada and the US. And we are your hosts. I'm Dr. Deepan Carr. And I'm Dr. Amrit Vilku. Even though this is your third time <laughs> on our podcast, for those who do not already know who you are, Dr. Richard Maharaj, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, again, thanks for having me on for the third time. It is indeed a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. And I miss your two compatriots uh, not being here, but it's nice to see you too. Um, yeah, so Richard Maharaj. So I, I'm a 2003 graduate of University of Waterloo. Uh, and I have practiced in and around Ontario since that time uh, in various settings. But I guess, you know, sort of my uh, my entry into what I consider to be my most consistent part of my career really started in late 2000s. Um, and so I started a specialty, if we can say specialty, a special interest <laughs> practice um, that really focused on medical optometry. It was known as iLabs, Optometry and Center for Ocular Surface Disease. So in that clinic, we, we really focused on you know medical disease, glaucoma, retinal disease, et cetera. My particular uh, interest was in the anterior segment and the cornea and dry eye specifically. And so that occupied the greater part of the last uh, 10 years or so. Um, and uh, that was a uh, um, collaborative practice with another, uh, with an ophthalmology group. So we were distinct and separate, but we occupied the same floor. We shared sort of elements of the same floor. And um, during that time, I also um, started to do more consulting work uh, and started a uh, dry eye, national dry eye conference, the Canadian Dry Eye Summit. I've been doing that with uh, my uh, collaborators, my partners, Dr. Jeff, Jeff Goodhue and Dr. Trevor Miranda and Dr. now Dr. Diana Nguyen. So we really kind of started to shift the, the education space, I guess, with respect to ocular surface disease. Uh, from that angle, done some more consulting and teaching. I love teaching. Um, and yeah, so most recently, my most recent evolution is to the Prism Eye Institute. Prism Eye Institute is a, again, an, uh, a national ophthalmology uh, group, um, which has locations all across Ontario um, and is currently growing across Canada. Uh, the Prism Eye Institute has been known uh, and continues to be known as um, uh, you know, a center for complex anterior segment disease, glaucoma. And so my recent merger, uh, iLab's recent merger with PRISM really brought together, you know, the specialty optometry side of things to um, the specialties within the PRISM Institute. And so my mandate currently is to grow, obviously, the dry program there, um, but it's also to grow, um, again, I'm going to say this openly, but it's to grow some specialty optometry and to give it um, some more clear definitions. So within our institution, that's how we're going to kind of start to, 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 to make that change. And that's what I do. Yeah, that's honestly, you probably even do more, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think that's, that's good enough. But actually, I will add, you, you also are leading some research studies in dry eye as well, correct? So yes, I have done, I was doing some research with, uh, when I was at iLabs, mm -hmm. you know, our, our resources were a little bit less, um, less so than a dedicated research institute that we now have at PRISM. Um, so through PRISM, we will now be kind of engaging in, in, in more detailed and more, um, 
uh, optometry centered research as opposed nice. to you know purely glaucoma research which prism has been known for so yes yeah, so that's nice. definitely going to be a big part of the uh, the next chapter of my career yeah that's awesome and i think um you know your merger <clears throat> into prism i think this is also now the perfect time to talk about it because there's so many discussions now about the changing landscape of optometry, specifically in Canada, but also in the U.S. with, um, mm. you know, um, a lot of corporate chains coming in and changing the game or ones that have already been there, but trying to change perception of the profession. But also, you know, um, we just want to emphasize more medical optometry because it's been there, but it's just not as publicly known. And it's really nice to have you in giving that personal side of what you've gone through. And so we want to know, you know, what was your relationship like with ophthalmology in those early stages of eye labs in terms of um, dry eye and anterior segment disease and co-management? It's It's been an interesting, I'd say decade and a half, 15 years. Mm -hmm. It's been very, very interesting. Just when I look back, um, prior to starting eye labs, I worked with an ophthalmology practice, an independent ophthalmology practice um, led by Steve Arshinoff, Dr. Steve Arshinoff. So Steve has always been known as a, you know, the sort of a bit of a cowboy. He's garnered this reputation in his own domain in that he's a big proponent of bilateral simultaneous uh, phaco emulsification. So same day bilateral cataracts. And that, as you would imagine, kind of gets met or more traditionally, at least it's been more accepted now, but traditionally has been met with some, uh, you know, trepidation on behalf of all the colleagues. And so through his kind of um, leadership and maybe even a little bit of influence, like I, I, I started to see how he navigated waters that weren't particularly clear. And so in his setting, in that setting, in the ophthalmology setting, I had a ton of autonomy. It was actually a great place, place to practice because it wasn't that I was working under ophthalmology. I was working in an ophthalmology practice and it was seamless. It was actually, and it was empowering. And it was at that time, this is probably about 2006, 2007, that I started to think, well, why is this a rarity and rather than, you know, commonplace? Mm -hmm. um, you know, why is this something that I should talk about? In that practice, I, I really kind of honed my, you know, uh, medical acumen within the Ontario infrastructure, as you guys have, can both attest to. Anyways, I now getting back to your question about, you know, how to dry evolve. Well, when I started dry eye um, in that practice, dry eye really was mentioned, but it certainly wasn't front and center. And it really wasn't until I started to kind of bring, you know, my research and my understanding and my approach, what I had kind of crafted at the time, which is very rudimentary. Um, it wasn't until I did that, that, you know, I started talking to Steve more about it and we started to, to, to at least look at it more um, comprehensively. Uh, then from there, very shortly thereafter is when I started iLabs and I kind of took the, the reins. And at iLabs, I was, um, uh, the neighboring clinic was a larger uh, ophthalmology group with, a, you know, a, a ton of cataract patients, as you would imagine. And that's really when it sunk in. Okay. That was when I'm, I, I, I began to understand this is the element that is important to ophthalmology. And this, I mean, of course, glaucoma is also this, but this was an easy uh, lens to view for ophthalmology to view dry eye through. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, because it very the tear film impacted their their outcomes. It impacted their conversations. It impacted their chair time, yeah. um, and ultimately impacted their patients, of course, before surgery. And so there was a recognition after, you know, some lengthy conversations with my with my ophthalmology colleagues that we need to look and examine these patients pre-surgically, and we need to do it in a way that is systematic as opposed to just this person sounds like they might have dry eye. It was no, let's screen appropriately and objectively uh, and, and really kind of get some numbers there. So that was, that was really the Genesis. And it was at that point that they got it. I got it. And that's how we actually came together. Anyway, that's a long answer to, to your short question, but that's, yeah, that was kind of how it evolved. That, that was a, perfect, beautiful answer and very well detailed because we are, you know, of course, every time we ask questions, it's on the perception of, from the perception of a new grad. And every question we always ask is, okay, how did you do everything like step by step by step? Um, But you did mention some really important points. So if we're a new grad doctor entering a practice and we may want to implement a new, um, you know, new management, new treatment plans, new equipment, you know, you brought in that research, you, you know, took those articles, you took the research, you went through it, probably put in a little PowerPoint presentation and, and demonstrated it to the owners or, you know, the other doctors that you work with to say, here's the proof. This is why, you know, this would be effective. And so I think that's really good information and knowledge for us. You know, if, if we want to implement something, we definitely have to do our research and be prepared to, you know, show them the data, show them the information and answer all those questions. And you know what? And that's absolutely true. Show them the research, be familiar with it. Obviously that's important, but um, you know, I'm not going to take all the credit because the last decade Mm -hmm. was also a very busy time for dry eye. The dues Two workshop came out. Um, There's been the, the MGD workshop prior to that. And there's been new algorithms that were ophthalmology developed and ophthalmology really has kind of, at least in the U S has taken strong interest in dry eye. And so, you know, this, this, my evolution paralleled what I would consider to be the largest evolution in in dry research and care Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time. And that that's, so that's us zooming in. If you zoomed out and looked at it, yeah, you know what? Um, It's a very short period of time. 10 years isn't long in the history of eye care, but zoomed in and experiencing it the way that I have. Yeah. It seems like, wow, my, a lot has changed. So I happen to benefit from that the innovation in that space. Yeah. Well, I mean, even in your history and Amrit was just talking about it, you like throughout your history, you, your eye labs pioneered a dry eye practice, right? No one was doing that at that time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you just touched upon a little bit on our next question, but Throughout the years, what specific actions did you take in attempt to better educate other ophthalmologists on dry eye disease? The the working with Steve Arshnoff was helpful because Steve's name was known in, in, in again amongst his peers. And through you know, seeing kind of his approach to things and and recognizing he was a, 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 a or is not necessarily an academic. Uh, UFT, you know, Toronto-centered ophthalmologist. He's in private practice. And I, while I, I do my work with University of Waterloo, I'm in private practice. I'm not uh, a tenured professor. And so I felt like there were some parallels there. And I also knew that 
that that path to communicate with both ophthalmology and optometry. If I'm being honest here, it was actually optometry that I needed to educate more than ophthalmology in order to kind of get them to build that trusting and respectful relationship. Mm-hmm. So I took some cues from from my time at, at York Finch Eye Associates with Steve. And um, and yeah, I'm right, you're right. I put together some PowerPoint presentations. I was using uh, my I iPad. I would go in, I would visit <laughs> practices. And I would have these conversations. I mean, it would take some time. I'd, I'd call, I'd email, I'd leverage however I can leverage a meeting, a one-on-one meeting. Um, and it would be one-on-one. That was that was it. Um, and so I'd go in and I'd, I'd say, look, this is where I think there's an opportunity uh, for us to collaborate. I know exactly the impact that it's having because now I'm doing this with my neighboring clinic. Let me help you. Let me help your patients. And so I actually had... in. 2014. So I opened up iLabs in 2012. And in 2014, 2015, around that time, I actually just cold called Ike Ahmed. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just said, Hey, you know, we're, we're literally down the street from you folks. And um, I see some of your patients coming in from time to time. Let's just talk about how we can collaborate because I was really excited about what he does and I felt as though there was some synergy there. And Ike, as generous as he is, he's like, yeah, sounds like a great idea. Let's set up a meeting. And we did. This is in 2014. And so I I went in with my iPad and my Prezi on my iPad Mm -hmm. and I was kind of going through cases that I had treated and talked about our three cataract algorithm and, and how it was working. He was, you know, he was like, yeah, this makes a whole lot of sense. At the time, again, it wasn't like I could collaborate um, uh, from a business perspective with them, but we could certainly share patients. And so Prism became one of our strongest referral sources, even though I was collaborative with, you know, their quote unquote competition. And that for me was a huge eye opener because I then understood that, you know, the perception of competition in optometry and amongst optometry practices is not the same as the perception of optometry of excuse me of competition in ophthalmology. There is far more reciprocity in ophthalmology than there is in in at least in my the region that I was practicing in than between our colleagues. I had a lot of colleagues that were again that were very cautious to refer. They there was a lot of sort of ownership. Oh, I own this patient. You know, I'm not going to share, even though I wasn't dispensing eyewear. I wasn't doing anything that was, you know, competitive you know, the optics of competition weren't even there yet. These were my, my biggest hurdles were, were optometry colleagues. And um, that was actually probably one of the most frustrating things at the time. So going back to the original question. Yeah. I knocked on doors. I demonstrated my acumen for what it was that I was doing. I had a logical approach. That's just generally the way that I think. And I think the, the disease has a sufficient evidence base to be able to speak to it with with uh with literature support so i think that was really that was a really critical piece i don't know now in 2023 if the knocking on the door visiting with ophthalmology colleagues if that's going to happen especially given the pandemic but but there is a version of that out there maybe it's meeting at a conference maybe it's maybe it is emailing and digital communications or or zoom calls and things like that maybe that's the way to do it Um, but getting their attention there has to be uh, uh, you know, in any story, there has to be a hero and there has to be a villain. You have to find the common villain, mm-hmm. right? The common villain between you and the ophthalmologist or the, the colleague or whomever it is you want a referral from. Find that villain and then make you and the other person the hero, right? Because there is a Venn diagram where they overlap. 
And you can find that in any narrative. You'll win him over with a good Venn diagram. <laughs> I was going to say, were you fangirling when you got to have a meeting with Ike, Dr. Ike Ahmed? <laughs> was I fangirling? Yeah. Uh, you know what? Maybe not I don't back know what I was at the time. I was actually shocked. I was just shocked. I was surprised. I'm like, yeah, really? Just wow. An, yeah. I'm like, I didn't think this was going to happen. And I literally walked. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was very, it was fun. But you know yeah. why I, I remember, I do remember this because when I got in there, a lot of people said, were you nervous? And I know I was not nervous at all because I felt as though I could speak um, about dry eye with the passion and with mm -hmm. the, the, the detail that I can sometimes <laughs> get caught up in and not be apologetic about it. And, uh, because I knew whether or not Ike was following everything I was saying, because he's glaucoma and this is dry eye, but I did know that he, he was picking up on my energy and the vibe that I was, that I was bringing it because, and it wasn't, and he could also, he was, he's good at kind of identifying, you know, authenticity. And that's very yeah. much a part of what I brought in there. So once I got in there, it was actually a ton of fun. I mean, yeah. I think, I think that goes with, um, you know, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, don't but take. we get so nervous or caught up thinking, you know, what if, what if maybe someone doesn't want to listen to my opinion or, there, you know, there's so many other people who they probably want to spend time with and not me. And, you know, you might have that imposter syndrome, but yeah, sure. if you just knock on the person's door, send them an email, ask them a question, Hey, can we chat? You'd be, you'd be surprised how many people will say yes. I mean, we, we were always surprised when we started our podcast, we just emailed ODs and ask, Hey, do you want to take an hour out of your dinner time or away from your kids and talk to us for free with no compensation for, <laughs> you know, about optometry and every, everyone has said yes over two years. Yeah. Like that's amazing. And we just never thought that anyone would want to spend time talking to us about whatever. Um, but if you just ask most of the time, you'll be surprised. People will want to talk and learn and share you talked about how, I guess, the relationship with iLabs and the PRISM Eye Institute began. How did that collaboration between yourself and that ophthalmology practice um, evolve over time to get to where you are now with them? Yeah. So um, the pandemic was, was challenging for all of us. We had to shut down. We had to limit our, you know, everything. Um, and my business model, the iLabs business model is very much tied to seeing people and having patients in the practice, much like all of ours, but we are 100% service. So, you know, dispensing eyewear wasn't something that we could do remotely because um, we weren't dispensing eyewear. Services is certainly not something that we could provide remotely. So the pandemic hit us very, very hard. Um, and again, I'm not saying more or less than anybody else, but it was very challenging for us. The other thing too, that uh, ended up occurring, um, a year into the pandemic was in Ontario, we had, um, the, the strike where things were just starting to pick up and then we had to curtail our services. So that had a, a tremendous financial impact on the practice and <clears throat> it was it was challenging is not the word I would, I could even, I, there's no word really to describe what it felt like at the time. It was really uh, a difficult spot. And so my, uh, the space that I, that I occupied, the lease was coming up and, and like most landlords during the pandemic, they saw the, 
the renewal period of that lease to be an opportunity to kind of make up for some lost uh, revenue. And so the the uh, increase that was going to that I was going to adopt just wasn't sustainable given everything that I just mentioned. Yeah. So now I'm a bit of a prognosticator in, in, in certain respects. And so when the pandemic hit, even before the pandemic hit, I knew that I, I was planning on on migrating. I knew that something needed to change, whether iLabs needed to change or otherwise. So the that conversation that I had with with Prism, with Ike and the group back in 2014, and having that relationship over time, my uh, colleague, you guys know Farhan Vafai, Dr. Farhan Vafai, he's, he works at the Prism Institute. And so we've been chatting for, we had been chatting for a while about how we can collaborate further. And so that plus the previous conversation that I had in 2014 and the ongoing relationship that we had really just afforded uh, uh, myself as an owner of iLabs and, and the owners at Prism to just sit down and say, look, is there something that we can both benefit from, right? What was the common villain and where were we as heroes going to come out on top? And the common villain in my case was, yeah, dry eye disease. And that's really what we became known for. Yeah. Prism had a dry eye program um, that really didn't have much legs. It wasn't growing to the extent that they wanted it to, number one. Number two, again, we had a lot of shared patients. And then proximity, the location where I was, was literally you know a block and a half away from where where one of the Brampton location was for Prism. So through a series of, of you know, meaningful conversations, long conversations, debates, planning, logistics, we eventually found and figured out a way that we could come together where I didn't have to literally close my doors because iLabs was this close to actually having to close down. Um, and uh, I basically leveraged the equity that I had built up the, the the brand association and the strength of the iLabs name, I leveraged that into uh, a merger with the Prism Eye Institute. And so we dropped the iLabs name and we adopted the Prism brand. And now we are Prism Eye Institute and, and Prism Dry Eye Clinics is, is sort of a, a brand within the Prism Eye Institute. Um, but yeah, that's that's the process to the ability that I'm able to, to kind of let it all out there. But it was it was really, really tough. So you're well, basically saying it was all thanks to your good-looking colleague, Dr. Vafai. <laughs> that's right. He just, uh, he just waved his locks. And yeah, he just did it. a little bit of this with his hair, and they were like swooned, and they're like, yeah, yeah bring him on in. That's right. <laughs> Anything that's exactly for you, right. Dr. Vafai. <laughs> you're right with this kind of career. After the pandemic, I think a lot of people realized how comfortable they're gonna have to be with the unpredictable situation yeah and it's good to kind of think of all these scenarios and kind of figure out well what I'm comfortable or uncomfortable with totally. but mm -hmm. I mean yeah I mean I think Dr. Richard Maharaj you're like probably the best person to kind of figure that path out and be okay with it <laughs> and be successful at it too so it's kind yeah. of you to say. That's kind yeah. of you to say. Look, another consideration I didn't really address. I wouldn't bring this up, but this was very much front and center in my mind. Was 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 my kids? Um, yeah. You know, my kids are eleven and six at the time. They were a little bit younger than that, a year younger. But um, you know, I was also very cognizant of the fact that this is a great time in their lives, and I also the the, the notion that I was going to go back to sort of startup mode, grind, grind, grind mm. at this stage in their life was not something that I wanted to do. In mm -hmm. fact, I had been planning up until the pandemic 
to to really condense and to prioritize my time differently uh, in their next decade. And so, so that was very much a consideration. And and again, I'm 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 glad it all turned out the way that it did because I very much needed to have that time with them. Well, like you were saying, you have your anniversary with Prism. You said tomorrow, right? Or today? It is actually tomorrow. Yeah, I, and oh. I didn't realize that until I just looked at the calendar. That's great yeah. timing. <laughs> it is actually. It's very good timing. Yeah. And you were saying, you know, before you joined Prism Eye Institute, their dry eye part of their practice wasn't really that established. So I guess, like, what changes have you noticed in the recognition of dry eye disease and its various treatment options amongst um, the ophthalmology community since joining Prism? Well, at least within the Prism fold, our presence, our program. So I've, I've, we've dubbed our program, or I've named our program, the Interventional Dry Program, because we take a very interventional approach to it. And just having that language in the Prism vernacular has conveyed a message, right? So it's conveyed a message that we are not just a dry clinic. We are actually uh, uh, intervening in a process that would otherwise, its natural history would take the patient down a very bad pathway. So within PRISM, you know, I, I just the fact that we're there, number one, has, has at least risen the awareness of procedure-based care. So the different techniques we use, whether it's IPL or radiofrequency and lipoflow and um, some of the other techniques are available, number one, and are, are, they're not afterthoughts. In fact, they are, in many cases, front and center in the treatment plan. So that in and of itself was, I think, the first, you know, raising the bar, if you will, um, of uh, of my, my internal colleagues' awareness of what we do. And this is not to disrespect anybody, but it was like they were in kindergarten before, right? <laughs> learning the basics of reading, learning the letters and learning the vowels and learning yeah. how those sounds go together, going from kindergarten to grade one, where mm -hmm. they're now not learning to read, they're reading to learn. Mm -hmm. And and it was very much that kind of switch when suddenly the conversation yeah. went from how do you treat, what's this interventional approach to, okay, how do I get my cataract patients to you before surgery? How do we build a flow where that <laughs> makes sense? Oh, wait a second, I have my glaucoma patients you know, these guys are, 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 they're in pain. Can you, can we set something up? So now we're actually strategizing how to get these chronic dry patients that are in their subspecialties, their pockets, how to get those patients treated optimally. And mm -hmm. to be able to have, for that to be the basis of the conversation, rather than me saying, oh, please send them over. That's it, huge. It, it's, yeah, that's, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I think that's the ultimate goal is to have that um, relationship with ophthalmology. And we understand what they do because we refer to them quite often for those advanced cases. But it's nice to see that at least at least at Prism, where now you are, they're also seeing more of what we do as optometrists and um, and for the dry eye specialty, because that really does overlap with ophthalmology quite a bit, maybe compared to other certain medical specialties in optometry. Dr. Maharaj, we'll end off the podcast with a special question. Um, you know, you were recently interviewed also by Dr. Harbir Sayan on the 2020 podcast about, you know, the direction that Canadian optometry is going into in the future. 
what message do you hope that this merge you've accomplished between iLabs and PRISM sends out to current and future Canadian optometrists about the profession? I am, I am, I hate using this statement saying I'm humbled. Like I don't really like to say that. <laughs> but I am humbled that, <laughs> that you would see, you know, this merger as being symbolic of a movement you know, within our profession, that really does, that gets me right here. So it, I'm- It is. Uh, hey, I'm going to cut you off because it is. And that's really important. Like you should feel humbled because <laughs> it's important. And it's a rare merger between a successful ophthalmology practice and a successful optometry practice deciding to work together rather than an optometrist entering an ophthalmology practice and then building up. Sorry, sure. that was important. No, no. So I, had I, to cut I you take off. that. I yes. take that. I take, I'll take that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, that podcast you did with Dr. Sayan was great. I think it kind of gave a clear view of where optometry or Canadian optometry is really heading towards. Yeah, and what the goals well, are. Wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but but I mean that that is that is true. That was the 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 one thing that I I really kind of noticed. Is that you know the independent whether you're a specialist or not, but the independent optometrist really is the largest voice yeah. in Canada, and and the voices that that you know kind of are highlighted often are the leadership within corporate institutions, which which they're only voices that we listen to because they're the leader of these institutions. But the reality is that you know through our provincial associations and our national associations. Our voices do amplify, we do build on, but it gets lost on us as the individual. It's like being a member of a country, you know, you're a nationalist to a degree, but you're still an individual. And what happens to the individual voice when you're, you know, kind of buried within a national voice? And I feel as though the independent, the the, the person, the single OD, you, Deepon, you, Amrit, yeah. like yours are actually the voices, I think, with the most compelling questions. Yeah. Which is what the hell do I do? Yeah. And it's, not, it, it, it's so, you know, sorry, I'm getting caught off guard here, but I really feel personally about this. It is, it, to me, it's a bit mind numbing to hear that, well, how do we use the comprehensive eye exam to, you know, bring in dry eye, bring in glaucoma? It's not a lever. The comprehensive mm -hmm. eye exam is not something to be leveraged. Mm -hmm. It has yeah. value intrinsically. And the independents, such as all of us here, know that. And and, and that to, for that to be the center of a conversation about what's the value in this and that, to me, I felt like the corporate responses were just that, were corporate canned responses, or at least didn't satisfy um, what I think is is important and valuable to, to the independents. So anyways, I'm glad that, yeah. that you guys took that from it and that you see some synchrony there. I think what I love about your specific opinion about how, what direction optometry is going into mm. in the future is you are really emphasizing that we are medical professionals. And so, you know, we should start emphasizing the medical treatments that we can provide and the medical specialties we can provide. Sometimes I also think that, you know, when we did like our legislative exams, you know, mm -hmm. for like, you know, what, um, what laws and rules there are to practice in each state and province. Um, I remember, I don't know if this is Ontario and I don't know if this is 
um, a different state, but we're not legally allowed to call ourselves specialist. a specialist. That is Ontario as well, right? So yep. sometimes that really just, um, I don't know, just mentally makes me also feel like I love vision therapy. I love behavioral optometry and I love treating all these, you know, conditions in pediatric patients and, you know, but I can't tell patients or other doctors that I'm a specialist in this area. So how can I create a referral base compared to any other OD who then technically, you know, people will assume we all can do vision therapy yep. because I can't say I'm a VT specialist, but I want to call myself that, you know, I put in the time and the effort to do the residency, to, to go to that CE, to practice that way. Mm -hmm. And so I think mentally it also just as a new grad, maybe it's different, but it puts me down and I don't, then I get nervous advertising myself as, you know, I'm a VT doc. And I think just even the way that we're categorized in the healthcare profession sucks because we do medical specialty practice, but we can't even define ourselves as that. So then maybe that's why we get bogged down into this comprehensive eye care world. Mm -hmm. When we enter as a new grad, we're also just like, well, like, that's kind of what I'm going to focus on is just comprehensive eye care, whatever practices are doing comprehensive eye care. And we get nervous to open a specialty only practice, maybe because of that. That's how I feel. That is how optometry is going to become more diverse, how it's going to grow, how the profession can become more respected, mm -hmm. rather than saying, yeah, what else should we add to our comprehensive eye exam so it looks as attractive to the public as, you know, a retail chain? Yeah, 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 no, I, I know. I, I hate the handcuffs of not being able to use that term. But I remind myself, and I'll remind you, you know, as, as you know, new entrance into the profession as well, that the fact that we can't use that word or that language, yeah, it's limiting, mm -hmm. but don't let that, you know, don't let that seep into your consciousness either, right? I mean, don't, it's easy to say, don't let it get you down, but really don't, you know, be objective. You did do the work. You are currently practicing to the highest degree that you can in that capacity. Um, and the patients that you are treating, your VT patients that you are treating are benefiting from that and likely telling their peers and, 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 and family and friends. So you are accomplishing it. The, 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 the frustrating part, and this is where I a hundred percent agree. The frustrating part is that not being able to use that vernacular, that verbiage actually hinders us as business owners, yeah. right. And our ability to grow that segment of the business. And we have to, we, we really have to game the system in and order our perception of like, but for other healthcare professionals, right? If a GP yeah. wants to refer for an eye infection, are they going to send to ophthalmology or optometry? <clears throat> ophthalmology specialist, optometry, no. Yeah. yeah, it just changes the perception and and the respect level. So mm -hmm. it's tough. So, but and and so I agree. And the one thing, like I said, that I I, I kind of take home from all this, and you use that word respect, and I'm I'm very. That's a word I think that gets kind of tossed around, or I lost respect. You know, I I have I, I've always said this. I say this to my kids, and I say this to the students alike. You know, respect is something that shouldn't be assumed. It is earned. Mm -hmm. We have earned it by our training and our education. But there's one 
an additional step, which is unfortunate, but that we have to all go through when we enter practice, which is we have to then earn the respect of our referring colleagues or the colleagues and patients that then trust us. And that can only happen with sort of time and experience. So you are doing just that. You're earning it right now. And uh, it would be nicer um, if we could earn it just with a title. But um, but as you said, you know, it's also challenging when others can can use that same special interest by just literally hanging a sign and not doing any work. So going back to the, the whole reason why we can't use the term specialist, it is such, it is meant, it's a college by, uh, bylaw, which is meant to protect the public. My concern though, is that it's not protecting the public. It's actually having the opposite effect where you're having everybody that says they have a special interest in this and this and this, and the public doesn't know any different. Yeah. They have mm -hmm. no concept of the difference between you saying that you're doing VT and me saying I'm doing VT, yeah. which would be a horrible idea, but I yeah. can do it. And, yeah. and how is that in the best interest of the public? I have a hard time with that. Yeah. And that's where these, like, um, like for any new grads listening, that's where the residency training really helps you to shine a little bit more, the fellowships, you know, that you can get with associations and, um, organizations that help establish you a little bit more. And that's not to say that an OD who's doing vision therapy without any extra letters next to their name is any, you know, less experienced, but you know, these are the, um, the little outlets that you can go towards after school, um, to get some further education and certification to silently say, Hey, I'm a specialist. <laughs> if I'm with FCOVD or FOEP or, you know, mm -hmm. and FAAO, you know, you can always kind of silently say with those letters, I am a specialist. Come yeah. <laughs> it sucks that you have to do it silently. It feels yeah, like we're making ourselves intentionally small yes. for, for the wrong reasons. But yeah. anyways, that's a whole other episode, I think. <laughs> I think diversification is actually how we exemplify to the public what we are able to do, trained to do, and um, can continue to build onto that. Because as I said before, language being so important, if we don't have that language built in at the professions level, if we don't recognize that amongst ourselves, you know, attracting new optometrists to the profession, educating the public, if we don't have that language, the public won't have that language, our, our hopefully new colleagues won't have that language, and we won't continue to build um, the optometry that I think that we're certainly capable of. And, and some of us are even practicing that way. So that's, that's how I feel about that. In a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. Not, not as long as the podcast episode that went with Dr. Cyan, but we will link that um, podcast for other people to listen to as well. Cause I think you, you have so many important messages in that podcast that, could really alter one's perception about what they think optometry is all about and show our medical side a little bit more outside of, you know, offering just a regular comprehensive eye exam. So <laughs> I think that's that? it. We're just still trying to figure out the landscape a little bit. Yeah. And yeah, even again, hearing that podcast with you and Dr. Cyan, it's when he asked, he's like, well, honestly, like, are do you feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel? And you're, you said, positive things and I was like all right Dr. Maharaj I yeah. will believe what you say so, well yeah. yes what, what I said I remember actually what I said was that you do have to zoom out this is a yeah. zoom in moment 
If yeah. you really zoom into where we are right now, yeah, it can look a little, it can look scary. It could feel scary. It could feel, yeah. you know, bring those sort of goosebumps to the, to the, to the top, but we use fear, right? Fear, fear actually does have a purpose. It does have a value. It's telling us something. We just have to figure out how to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, make sure you zoom out. You guys are early on. You, you keep on referring to yourself as new grads. I'm like, ah, you guys aren't new grads anymore. You're new ODs. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> new ODs. That's a great message to end this interview on. Um, I hope that a lot of um our listeners learned a lot more about iLabs and now the Prism Eye Institute and um how you really achieved and worked really hard for that um cohesive, you know, um relationship with ophthalmology. So thank you again, Dr. Maharaj, for coming on for the third time. <laughs> Next time, we will have alcohol involved in a happy hour. <laughs> As promised. We can do it. I'm, I'm, I look forward to that. But thank you so much for having me on for a third time. It's always a pleasure talking to you both. And, and uh, I love how you guys are, are both continuing to have conversations with on behalf of your new newer colleagues and your up and coming colleagues. So keep doing what you're doing. And uh, yeah, it's always fun talking to you. So I look forward to the next time. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you to everyone for listening to four eyes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating to give us feedback on how we're doing. You can also check us out on Instagram at four eyes optom for more content and to share your thoughts on this episode. See you guys next time.